0: Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation.
1: When it comes to mammoth legendary train journeys, the Trans-Siberian Railway is way up there. Coming in at 9,289 kilometers, Simply put, it's the longest railway line in the world. Starting in Moscow, it chugs east to its terminus Vladivostok, but has another interchange where it then forks south to Mongolia and continues to Beijing, ultimately linking two of the world's great cities. So, nearly 180 episodes into Talk Travel Asia, we're going to finally talk about this epic train journey. What's entailed, and hopefully give you enough background to either inspire you or give you the idea that this journey is not for you. All aboard! Here we go. It's Scott Coates in Bangkok, and
0: with me, just a train and then a bus ride away in Siem Reap, Cambodia. Hey, Scott. Trevor here. You know what, though? I think you know I, we we did a couple episodes specifically about trains. Like trains had come up a lot on a bunch of episodes, maybe just over the past two or three years. So I feel like you touched on this show once and maybe this was one where it was like, hey, you know, this would make a a great longer episode because it's the longest railway. Uh, That's one comment. Number two Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, it's funny when you you said that it forks south to Mongolia, you don't think of too many places where you turn south to go to Mongolia because most people I think picture (laughs) Mongolia pretty much up at the top of the world there yeah so it's a pretty exciting uh journey i imagine so i'm excited to to hear your tale
1: yeah indeed and you and i often struggle with what to talk about with just the two of us guests are one thing and somehow we had never really formally touched on this in in you know detail and i have brought it up on a couple of other episodes but it's actually coming up to 10 years ago that my dad and i did this so we thought we'd touch on it you know i mean this is a train journey that's i mean really famous for essentially going mostly most people go between beijing or moscow in one direction or the other uh, I think it was built in the late 1800s, the whole thing into the early 1910s. And yeah, it, it, it's bloody incredible. And I agreed to go at one point. And now to this day, 10 years later, when I look at a map and I see where we covered by rail, I still can't quite believe it. So it was truly epic.
0: Yeah, you know, I was just stopping to write down a few questions because immediately I have a few good ones and I don't want to lose them because I think uh, there's going to be a lot of interesting things to discuss on this show. 10 years, huh? And you know, you, your dad and you just went on a trip recently, and so you're still creating more stories that'll be future episodes. So I'm, I'm excited about that, too.
1: Yeah, indeed. We just did. We went to Taiwan in April 2023, and we did this trip in August 2013. So, yeah, it is kind of neat that we're still doing these trips together. Yeah, it's going to be fun to recall it as well, and we'll have some great photos on the website. So if you want to see photos, go to talktravelage.com and it'll probably pull you through to our Facebook page. But we'll have some cool photos we can share there. And I'm looking forward to kind of reminiscing so to speak and then sharing with people what it entails and maybe hopefully some good tips and information they can use to to kind of plan their own trip or decide, hey, this is I put in the intro this is not for me because it's definitely not for some people.
0: Yeah, I remember one thing in specific we might have talked about, which was the food um because it's quite a long journey as well like days wise and uh your your meals may be somewhat restricted like you can only bring so many yes. uh, oranges or dried mango <laughs> I don't know if you're buying any dried mango or dried squids from the Mongolian hawkers that you see along the way but uh, that should be an interesting part of the story too
1: yeah absolutely So before we get into it uh, deeply, I want to say thanks to Matt. Matt is a patron, and patrons are people that sponsor the show from as little as a few dollars a month upwards, depending on how much love and goodness they feel in their heart. What does that get them? Well, the warm, fuzzy feeling that we keep talking travel, but also we give our patrons a little bonus episode in between each of these episodes. So patrons get either a video or a short conversation between Trevor and I, photo galleries, etc. So thanks for Matt being a patron, helping keeping us go. If you'd like to support the show, click donate on our webpage or go to Patreon and just search the name of this show and get into it. So, Trevor, how should we tackle this big
0: thing? Hey, why don't we welcome our guest? Today, I'm going to chat with Scott (laughs) Coates about his experience on the Trans-Siberian Railway. He traveled with his dad and spent one week in Mongolia and a few days in Beijing along the way. I believe they took another train to Shenzhen and then onwards to Hong Kong, and we're going to hear all about it today. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks for having me, Trevor. longtime listener, first-time guest. Cool. So, uh... Where are you from, and uh, what was your first ever train experience, here or back home somewhere?
1: That's a good question. I'm originally from Canada. The last place I lived before moving to Thailand was Calgary, the western part of the country, famous for Rocky Mountains, great cattle, cowboys, and wheat. And, you know, I remember taking a train trip with my mom when we lived on the east coast of Canada on its smallest province, Prince Edward Island, and we took a ferry across, I believe, to New Brunswick, and then got a train to maybe Ottawa or Toronto. And I remember that trip with my mom. So that was kind of my first train trip that I can really remember.
0: (laughs) Right on. I like it. So where did the idea for this particular Trans-Siberian trip come from? I believe you said your dad, but uh, where did he get the idea? Was it a lifelong uh, mission of his to accomplish?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Trevor. So he's 79, about to be 80 now. And so he was 69, about to be 70. And I don't think I'd really been privy to the fact that my mom and dad had, well, I knew they'd traveled a ton, but my mom was sort of reaching a point where I think she was getting less interested in adventurous places. And my dad, uh, he's always been intrigued by trains. I think he, he said, because when he was younger, like, that's how a lot of people just traveled, right? Train was the feasible one. Planes were simply too expensive. but also that you can see where you are go by and sort of soak more of it in as as you go. And he'd been to St. Petersburg, I think with my mom, and he just always said all his life, he'd sort of had Trans-Siberian, those words stuck in his head. And my mom didn't want to do it. So he asked me, and I think he asked me probably about five or six months before we went. So maybe around February or March of 2013, said, look, I'd really like to do this. Your mom doesn't want to do it. And I think I put him on research because I had been working in tourism at the time and tended to plan most of the trips. I thought, okay, if he can get some basic info down and figure out how the mechanics of it, then I'm a little more interested. And he he did figure out the mechanics and came back to me. And so we decided, okay, let's do this thing in August, 2013. So that's kind of the impetus for for it.
0: Wow. Good job, dad. Uh, is that the first? Mm. Is that the first time you two traveled, just uh, father and son, like as adults, or maybe as 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 long as you've lived in Asia? Yeah, it
1: is. And you know, it's funny. I didn't really think of it before as being this unique thing or special thing. But I guess anytime just two people set out together, it's it's generally pretty deliberate, right? You maybe go with your wife, or you go with your dad, or you go with a certain friend. So just planning to do something with only one other person is looking back on it now is pretty special. But yeah, that was our first trip. And I didn't really, again, think about the impact that it might have emotionally or or how much more important memories of a trip with my dad would be maybe than some other people. So
0: yeah, it was our first trip together. And in the, in the, end, in the end, did it turn out to be that kind of like bonding movie moment that like you'll cherish? Yeah, um, it
1: really did. You know, my dad and I have always gotten along pretty well. But Without trying at all, it ended up going incredibly smoothly and we got along really well and we had zero arguments and it seemed the things that I liked to plan or be in control of, he didn't care about or just let go of and let me roll with. So he organized some bits and I organized bits, but they didn't seem to overlap. And what is amazing is that the three weeks together. Not a single moment of tension at all, not even like, "Oh, maybe we should go to that museum and then here or anything. Nothing. no, no stress at all in those three weeks, which is incredible. I don't think I've ever traveled with someone <laughs> for three weeks and and nothing.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, three weeks is a while, travel-wise, and you have to have some travel compatibility. but uh, you know, I recently mm-hmm. traveled down to the south of Thailand, my dad dropped in on me in Bangkok. December last year and we ended up traveling That's a bit right. together and and I totally understand how you say you feel when you had that trip with your dad because we got along really well too it was just going with the flow enjoying a good time and like uh, surprisingly you know smooth like that you can both just enjoy A holiday together. You know, it's funny, I just sort of hitchhiked on my dad's itinerary. And he sort of spilled, (laughs) he sort of spilled the beans a little bit there. But I was gonna ask, uh, you know, since you're a travel professional, you were like, Hey, you know what, if Mm -hmm. dad plans it, I'll just go along. So you just let him do everything. And you sat back and and you trusted everything he put together. Or you, you already mentioned that you collaborated a bit. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, it, it is.
1: It, it's kind of funny because every other trip I have planned is particularly ones in Thailand. But when we've traveled Cambodia or, you know, we went to islands in Indonesia and onwards, because I work in travel, I, I sort of think I had a better feeling for what was out there. I could get good prices, good contacts, et cetera. And for whatever reason, again, I just sort of threw it out. And next thing he had been in touch with some travel agent in moscow and it turns out i think to apply for a visa you need official you know sponsorship that only a travel agent can provide so i think she secured our uh, train tickets and she secured our hotel for the nights we were there before and and maybe one other small thing but then they provide you with this letter to allow you to apply for for your visa and next thing I knew, my dad had sort of made it happen. He just said, okay, I've got the train tickets. We leave Moscow this day. We get into Beijing this day. And we should meet a couple of days before that. And I sort of thought, well, okay, this thing's on. He's he's done the hard work. One thing I remember, though, is being a little ago, perhaps because I'm Canadian and we tend to get visas everywhere pretty easily, is I went to go get my Russian visa here in Bangkok. And I can't remember the almost missing thing, but it was almost too late for me to make it happen in time. So uh, we haven't gotten to the advice section, but I do recommend that you get your your visa for Russia well before you think you need it, uh, because it can be slow, particularly depending on what's going on politically.
0: Yeah, you know, I have. I just started recently codifying uh, Trevor's travel tips, like my core advice, and one mm. of them is to do things early. I I wouldn't delay ever on applying for visas or certain things. I, you know, mm. I'm packed days in advance. So, uh, but yeah, that's probably a good idea, especially for countries like Russia. What about like the other countries, though? I mean, you were, did. Did you pass through Mongolia? Was there a border checkpoint with China, or was it entirely within Russia? So it was. Uh,
1: yeah, it's a good question, and I had to get three visas and. Again, I remember the Chinese visa almost being a problem because I had sold my shares in our travel business, and it turned out when you went to the Chinese visa or the Chinese embassy here in Bangkok as a non-Thai, you had to provide some proof of working. And so I managed to get, you know, my ex-business partner who I was only a few months removed from the business at that point, but to write me a letter saying I worked there. And you know what? I don't remember the Mongolian one, but I obviously got one, and I think it must have been, you know, operational. Like I, I turned in whatever paperwork, and they must have a uh, an embassy here in Bangkok. But yeah, it was three of them, three distinct visas, or maybe I got one on arrival from Mongolia. But um, I do remember China and Russia. I sort of almost left late in the game, and it's a, it's a good idea to remember if you are applying in a country that's not your native country, then that can really ramp up the requirements for visas to those kind of countries.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've experienced that too. All right. How about we get into the the program here? So how many days, how many days total was the trip? I mean, like how many days was the train ride and then how many days was like the total trip? I understand you spent a few days at the Mm -hmm. tail ends in, in the respective, uh, you know, start and stop points.
1: Yeah. That's a good question, Trevor. So we spent five nights on the train in a row to get to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. And then we spent a six day and night on the train to get from Ulaanbaatar to Beijing. And then we spent one 12 and a half hour day or so on a high speed railway to Shenzhen. I think it was Shenzhen, the border city with Hong Kong. And then we transferred to their metro and stuff. So full on on trains, let's say seven days. But then we were in Moscow for four nights before, and we were in Mongolia for a full week, and we were in Beijing, I think, for three days, and Hong Kong for two nights. So, yeah, so it was about two and a half weeks, the whole trip, and about seven of that on trains.
0: Pack lots of toothpaste, I guess. I don't know. Hopefully on the tips there's some, <laughs> you know, because that's kind of a long trip. Yeah. And, and again, it's in an in area of the world that we're not accustomed to visiting, and so therefore we wouldn't know what to expect in the, you know, like whether or not you could buy toothpaste along the way or something. Who knows? Yep. I don't know. That's fine. Absolutely. Out. So let's, uh, what was Moscow like? You spent a few days there before you got on the train.
1: Yeah, it was a special place because when I was in grade nine, so I'm, I was born in 1973, but when I was in grade nine, it was the start of the fall of the USSR. And, uh, you know, we learned so much in social studies that year about Uh, you know, the USSR and and its challenges. And so walking around Moscow felt a bit like I was walking through those history books that I I had in grade nine. And there was classical dark colored gray Soviet area buildings that look rather gothic and, you know, nice rivers run through the city, the Kremlin, and I think it's Basil's Cathedral. I can't remember the name of the uh, ones with sort of the soft serve ice cream cone tops that are, are multicolored, but that next to the Kremlin did a nice Boat trip on the river, walked through Gorky Park, which is famous from a movie when I was younger. Uh, had some amazing Georgian food, which is a former, you know, territory of theirs. Walked by the incredible opera house. That later years down the road, I think more than two hundred or three hundred people died when terrorists took it over, and the government sort of gassed everyone. Had some borscht and some dumplings, but you know, um, there were so many neat historical churches and nice parks, and again, almost those dark rundown buildings at times, but it just took me back to learning about rushing again in grade nine. And it was nice in the summer when we were there, but I could definitely see like it was still chilly on some days and realize that I bet you for six plus months of the year, this is a cold, hard city. But I I think Moscow was one of those that everyone should probably experience at some point. And, And I'm glad I went there hard place, I don't know if I'd say the people were friendly. They were helpful when I needed them to be. And we did okay for food and getting around. They had a really great transit system. One thing that's really cool in Moscow is when you go down into a lot of the subways, the escalators will be, say, 200 meters long or so. They're really long because they built them as bomb shelters. And they also really designed them to be very fancy to kind of show off to the rest of the world because it was one of the very few things I could do that looked a bit opulent. So the subway stations were
0: were really cool. Hey, that's good that you said that because I was going to ask uh, what the train station was like then. So that must have been mm. uh, something beautiful, a big uh, interchange station for different subways and stuff, I guess. And then the, the above ground rails going out uh, mostly east, I suppose, but in all directions.
1: Yeah, I seem to remember this train station we got on at was not part of an integrated hub or anything, and it just kind of looked old like any other. And I remember we found the train, found our car, and it was still an hour out, and we went to try and find some food. But look, there's apparently, we learned later, there's two cars or two trains. There's either Russian trains or Chinese trains, and we were on a Chinese train because you can imagine they kind of say, leave Beijing, a Chinese train goes to Moscow cleans up or whatever, turns around and comes back. And we heard that the Russian trains were a bit nicer and we got on this Chinese train and the cabin attendant, poor guy, he had tiny quarters where over the, you know, almost week I was on it. I saw him, you know, cut onions to make food and just his whole life is in this little box, but it was, it was pretty rough. Our cabin had two, you know, bunk beds and it was supposed to have a private shower. And you opened that, that room with the shower and it had just not been wiped clean in, you know, a year. There was a, a layer of grime and filth on it that was like, wow. And this is getting on at the start. And my dad, I, I, I couldn't believe he was inspired. He just... I think he asked me for some soap or shampoo and and a cloth and he just rubbed that thing down. And I I look back on that and go, that was a really good call because no one wants to clean the shower bathroom. But I think he also realized we're going to want to use this thing in the next week. So we should get it operational now. And he wiped it down. So it was it was far from luxurious. And I, in fact, remember that there was four, I think there were Germans, two couples. And, and, you know, we're in the car that's supposed to be the best class. And it was the best class. Cause I walked through some others, but it was still very far from luxurious. And so it was, it was kind of simple. And, you know, in the daytime, you can kind of fold up your beds and, and have a little table between you sitting, you know, next to the window. And there was a dining car. Uh, we only had one meal in there, but, uh, yeah, it was it was a little less luxurious than I would have liked for something that long.
0: Yeah, hopefully uh, neither of those German couples were on their honeymoon cuz uh it doesn't seem like the most romantic adventure. Yeah, they were not on their honeymoon. All right, so uh how long is that first day? Like how many how how many hours or how many kilometers outside of mm. uh, Moscow? Do you sleep like you're sleeping on the train? Did, did you like does it stop for a long time like when it stops? Yeah, good question. Uh, we got out in the evening. I feel
1: like we left at 5 or 6 p.m. So you kind of get on, you got settled, you know, you clean your bathroom, all those things. And and then, yeah, we, we were to sleep and you kind of wake up. And I remember opening the window and there was just trees. And it reminded me a lot of Canada because we have pine and spruce and so forth, but there was just trees. And I feel like for about the first three days, it was just trees. I'd go to bed There'd be trees, I'd pull down the shade, I'd lift it up in the morning, there'd be trees again. So Mm. there's stops along the way, some that happen when you're asleep and and many others when you're awake. I didn't have an official program, but some stops, you know, you'd only be there 10 minutes. And there was other ones where it would be a half hour, but the stops aren't very long. And I remember looking out the window and kind of, you know, see, can I see a supermarket from the train and could I run over there and grab a few things? and make it back in time. And there would be kind of babushkas, locals, that would roll up to the platform at each town and they'd have you know, everything from just drinking water and a Coca-Cola and a two liter bottle to some homemade foods or snacks that they had for sale along the way. So you had to be very strategic at these stops, like what did you need and jump out and grab stuff. And one time, because I knew we weren't gonna have a proper stop for almost 24 hours, so I jumped out to buy a bottle of water and I bought a two liter bottle of sparkling water by accident. And if you don't have water and all you have is warm, sparkling water, it's not very good.
0: No. Did you have to use that to brush your teeth, too? Or did your bathroom... Everything, yeah. yeah. Brush your
1: teeth, use it dinner, drink. Like, that was it. I bought two liters of sparkling water because I couldn't read Russian.
0: Wow. So, I think we got to go back to make sure you get the Russian car, man. Maybe maybe the Russian train cars had... uh, commissaries or something on them I don't know so but they had like a you said there was a dining car uh, was it just certain mm-hmm. hours that you could get stuff from there and and what what did they kind of offer up
1: yeah my my dad and I planned well for food is we bought kind of freeze dried camping meals from a, a camping outdoor store in Canada and so we each had like a little plastic Tupperware box and a fork and spoon and all these free dried meals because we didn't know what the food would be like and on the first night we did go to the dining car and it ended up being something like 14 or 15 us for this terrible little plate of food that was really bad so we never went back to the dining car again but it was open could add all your meals there. pretty pricey based on that one it was not good and i walked in a couple other times and saw other people's so my dad and i would you know pick two meals so let's say we all have fettuccine alfredo and then we'll have you know mexican fiesta or something so we'd fill one pat or you know, pack in one of the containers, stir it with hot water, split it between two containers, then open the second thing. And that was sort of our, most of our meals for the entire time on the train. Cause we just, uh, it was better taste uh, than what was being sold on board.
0: Were you allowed to, to bring those into the dining car and eat them there, or at mm. least uh, hang out and play cards there or something? Like where'd, where'd you spend all your time? You know what, we spent
1: all our time in our car. I don't think you could just go to the dining car. That's a good question. Now, there must not have been beer available in the dining car or else we would have been in the dining car. But beyond that meal, we didn't really go back to the dining car. So yeah, we just hung out in our room. And so I mentioned we were on the train for six nights, but we were on a five-night solid to Mongolia. So we actually you know, slept five nights in a row on the train, which is a long stretch. A lot of people tend to get off. I think it's four days in and you end up at the world's, I believe, deepest and or maybe biggest versus uh, against volume called Lake Baikal. So a lot of people get off there and they do some hiking on the edge of the lake and stuff. But my dad just wasn't really at an age and a point where he was doing that. So we continued all the way to Ulaanbaatar. And I think I would definitely get off at uh, that lake, Lake Baikal, and, and break up the journey a little bit if you're doing it. There doesn't need to be a big rush. That said, aside from Lake Baikal, like there might be some other places to stop, but yeah, the, the the towns we stopped at and the places we went through looked pretty quiet and backwoods and sparse and a lot of like wooden buildings, you know, whereas if you're going through rural Canada, they would still be not terribly inspiring looking cities, but they would have, you know, proper siding on the houses and stuff. Whereas we saw a lot of houses that were like old rough looking wood put together with a hammer and a nail and uh, it, it was yeah, rough living across. that's, that's uh, funny Russia.
0: you say that too. Have you ever seen the uh, Dead Man? Film with Johnny Depp by Jim Jarmusch.
1: Oh, you know what? I saw it years ago, but I don't really. It opens remember. It's with the train. Black and white,
0: right? Yeah, it's, it, it's it's black and white, and he's on a train. And as the movie right. continues in the in the introduction, the people on the train keep looking more rough and rugged and and scruffy and right. dirty. Yeah. So, what were the passengers like on this train? Like, was it like Russian tourists going out to Lake Baikal and some Mongolian people going home and some Chinese? businessman who can't afford the flight. Is that who's on this train or what's what's up? Who's, who's your fellow passenger? There's a mix, right? I There was a few
1: cars that were clearly, you know, I think they called them five star or something, but for tourists like us, you know, my dad and I from Canada and those Germans. And I, I somehow don't remember any of the other people that were on those tourist carriages, but there was definitely tourist carriages that were, you know, uh, more expensive, a little nicer. And then there was lots of cars that were just, of various class for other people. So I did walk through the the length of the train a few times and it was a different world. Like you'd walk by some areas where it was kind of seats and simple. And I think those people were maybe going a couple hundred kilometers or a few hundred kilometers between towns. And then you would go through the area, you know, with the bunk beds and just fans and It was pretty rough. You saw, you know, farmers, you saw soldiers, you saw business people, but people that you could tell had done long, hard trips often. So there was a mix of stuff. And I must say, I stayed sort of in our
0: world most of the time with a few little uh, excursions elsewhere on the train. Gosh, you know, and, and like Mongolia, it's crazy that it's like five days away. Cause you know, I've traveled across Australia and Australia is like, you know three days of nothing is something you know but five days of trees i guess um that's a long way it's something really sure yeah so and it's funny like what happens like when you get off the train is it just like everything goes from is it like like the wizard of oz you know it wasn't black and white and now it's color if we're sticking with that the film black and white references or like suddenly Mm -hmm. it went from like eight millimeter to like 70 millimeter you know like because mongolia you, you reckon is like one of the most cinematographic places in the world right what was the train station like
1: it was right in the center of town in ulaanbaatar and we showed up quite early morning and i remember i'd made arrangements with our hotel not far away that we could get in early and you know luckily the weather was nice when we were there that said it got cold in that week so yeah we went the last week of a few days of August into the first few days of September and it was it was sunny but it had a crisp hard feel to the air that is familiar to where I used to live Calgary Alberta Canada and that's a, a high kind of thousand meter high city prairies gets real cold and I remember instantly there was something about the air I know this sounds weird and really blue skies but I thought you know what this is a place that can get super super cold um you know, the, the, the couple days in Ulaanbaatar was real contrast is you have beautiful, modern downtown square and we visited, we knew the Canadian ambassador at that time and and saw Greg and his his wife, Sharon, and their uh, daughter, Sydney. We also took some buses around, but then there's a lot of people that have moved in from the countryside and they're living in a yurt in someone's backyard. So people will pay people to live in their backyard in yurts and they're burning wood and gas. So it's also a city that can become super polluted, particularly when the air gets cold with, with these kind of firewood and, and w- smoke what's the elevation hanging there? over the city. Um, you know, I'm not sure what it is there, Trevor, but, um, there's a bit of modern downtown with, you could tell hard living, like again, a lot of Soviet area era buildings, like they don't build them to be beautiful. They build them to be functional. And it was, yeah, definitely had a feel like we we're in a far off land that was also tough going.
0: Huh. But, uh, did you get out? Did you, you were there for a few days, right? So you got out of the city? Yeah,
1: we were there for almost a week. So, after a few days in Ulaanbaatar and checking out some sites and kind of, like I said, meandering about, we ended up heading east. Uh, you have to see the Genghis Khan statue. It's just one of those things, it's a big statue of him. And then we stayed out at a place, uh, you know, they had us sleeping in yurts rather than hotel rooms. And and that was pretty neat. And I uh, went horseback riding one afternoon, which is also neat. And my dad and I wandered around the hills there and, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's super touristy, but but it was neat, right? And uh, it got cold out there at night. Like the days were, you know, mid-20s, but um, they get down to single low single digits. And there was somebody that would come in and put firewood in your stove, in your yurt, uh, before you were going to bed and then sneak in at about 3 or 4 a.m. and put more in. So that was really neat. And then we <laughs> headed, I, I believe, just west of the capital to a place called Hustai National Park. And similar experience for living, like it was in yurts again and they cook your food, but they actually have wild horses there. So we went out one day and they took us and we spotted a whole bunch of wild horses with binoculars, but you could see them with your naked eye as well. And um, yeah, you know, it was kind of barbecue and and some interesting foods uh, at night and just wide open spaces and rolling hills and grasslands, just as you kind of have in your head. And you know, that was something about my brief time in Mongolia is that the pictures I had were, were exactly what I saw, like just rolling planes and so forth and, and hard hard living people, people that are faced with a lot of adversity, but some really beautiful stuff. But definitely, I don't think you want to be there much into mid to late September or, or too early in the season.
0: Okay, yeah, I just brought it up on uh, Google Maps. I don't know okay. if uh, we're going to make a Google Map for this episode, but I always suggest people check out Maps while they're listening it does really help so yeah let's uh ulan Batar is like way up in the north northern mongolia it it seems sure is uh just south of that lake it looks like and it's on the way to beijing which is where you were headed next but yeah that looks like a pretty long stretch that last one too so i'm interested to hear about the view yeah out the window uh the yurt thing sound pretty cool yeah
1: the yurts were great and again having people sneak in to add
0: firewood you know kind of hear something you roll over So, I mean, you've been eating train food or freeze-dried space food on the train all this time, (laughs) and now you get to Mongolia, like... uh did they have some, like, yak jerky or some sort of – was there something good to eat up there? It must be interesting. We
1: we did have some sun-dried – I feel like it might have been yak or bison or something like that. I remember at some point they're pretty big on lamb, and my dad and I both don't like lamb. So I remember mm. one night we they said, oh, okay, we'll get you something other than the lamb, and they served us fish. And I remember thinking, where the hell is this fish from, yeah. right? Like, I'm sure they have lakes and stuff, but, you know, I don't really remember what we ate. It's, that's really horrible, but – Nothing really stands out about what we ate. And it wasn't that it was bad. We did have good food. I remember one night we got a preposterously large pizza, my dad and Ula and Batar, But yeah, the rest of the time, I'm not sure. There must have been rice and potatoes and stuff, but I can't really remember, Aside from finding alternatives to to lamb.
0: All right. Well, now you're no longer in Russia. So I assume that uh, Mm -hmm. it's probably another Chinese train the rest of the way. Uh, So is it pretty much the the same service, different scenery?
1: Well, this is the interesting thing, Trevor, and and good question, because I guess you can get a train that is Russian, Chinese, or Mongolian, because Mongolia has the leg. And we ended up in a Mongolian train, which was brand spanking new and it was incredible. It had little digital screens in the room that had your name on them and arrival time. And yeah, they were brand new carriages. It was really, really nice and comfortable. And, uh, you know, Yeah, so that was a pleasure. If you can get the Mongolian train from Ulaanbaatar to Beijing or vice versa, that's the one to go for. I don't remember if this is when we came from Russia into Mongolia, but I feel like it was Mongolia to China, is the gauge on the railway tracks actually changes. Mm. And they, in a warehouse over about three to four hours, they lift each car one by one with a crane off its wheels set. And then roll in another new wheel set that's the size of the train tracks in the next country, and we set our alarm to see it. we were in the air on the crane when they did it. but they actually go through that process each time the train is coming or going
0: on that leg. Okay, yeah, I can imagine that would happen. Uh, it's interesting that they do that. I guess it's better than changing trains. Completely, yeah absolutely. right. I mean all right, so how about the, the view along the way to Beijing and, and uh, anything interesting happen along the way?
1: Yeah, it was neat. We left early in the morning and uh, there was some deserty scenes after not too long. I remember seeing some camels and yeah, it was a nice cruise into China. We woke up in Beijing in the morning. Uh, my dad and I had both been there before and we actually stayed in a kind of guest house in an old hutong that uh, nice. I stayed in with APLP and I think cool. you might have as well. Yeah, it was uh, great. Yeah, we just had a few nice days exploring that city and using the metro, which is cool. I like they have inflatable tires on their trains there and uh yeah and I can't actually remember what we did sightwise. I do remember we had some really nice Belgian beers and a, a kind of touristic sight along a little canal/ slash river. And then we jumped on a high-speed train all the way. I think again it's I should have looked at a map, but I think it's Shenzhen that borders Hong Kong and it was kind of new at that time and that thing I think it was into the high 200 kilometers an hour and then over about 12 and a half hours we traveled. I feel like it was 2,300 kilometers or something. It was a super long distance. Got off, took that city's metro to the train that then connected over to Hong Kong, took the train across the border. And, uh, or no, we walked across the border and then grabbed the Hong Kong metro. And boom, we were in Hong Kong. So, like Trans Siberian went from Moscow to Beijing. And then we took that high speed railway and then city metros. But, you know, to take train all the way from Moscow to Hong Kong is that's a that's a seriously long journey and one i still kind of can't believe we did it like i said i look at the map and kind of
0: blows my mind a bit good job don inspired and yeah. got it done and brought the sun Nailed along and had a good time yeah. what are some of his stand memories does he ever bring it up remember the time that we or is there any like hmm. memories in particular that uh...
1: yeah there's there's a few he mentions the georgian restaurant we ate at in moscow and that was a, just a really nice feast, and we kept having cold vodkas because I think that's what every tourist does. But that stands out. Our, you know, walking around the Kremlin, and I think St. Basil's again—those sort of dreamy uh, type buildings that are next to that definitely stands out. Just our time playing cards on the train—we uh, played a lot of cards to get through those many, many hours. Uh, the yurts he mentions too. We went over to Macau and had a, a kind of. final dinner there that he mentions once in a while. And we had great dim sum in in Hong Kong. And yeah, there's a lot of those are, I guess the ones that come out the most.
0: Right on. How about uh, some tips, you know, some advice for people who might Hmm. be crazy enough to try this.
1: Yeah, it's a good one. I, I think I would say, throw money at little problems. A lot has probably changed in 10 years of planning these, including that there's now Russia has invaded Ukraine. So visas are probably tougher to come by, but I would say where there's little maybe logistical headaches that of maybe securing train tickets or visas, like throw a bit of money at that kind of stuff. Um, make sure you're with the right person. And I'm not so sure how you know that, but I think it needs to be somebody, you know, really well and you've spent a lot of time with because it's a small cabin. That's a lot of time in a cabin. So if you don't really implicitly get along and, and not get on each other's nerves, it could it could be pretty tough. Uh, be prepared for squatter toilets. Each car had a... So we had that shower, but it, it wasn't a toilet. So you still had to use the shared toilet in the cabin, which... You got to be prepared to kind of, you know, drop a deuce in a, in a shared toilet for a week. Um, I think bring some of that freeze-dried food. Absolutely bring some of that camping food. Like we could have thrown some more money at time at the dining car, but it was a rough experience, so we didn't. And you can get a bit along the way, but I'd say bring some nice camping meals that you can have. And also just be prepared to roll with it, right? And I kind of mentioned that thing my dad did. Like I'd say if there's something about the cabin that seems dirty, like, Deal with it at the start. It's not going to get easier or better. And he had a bunch of wet wipes, which are good for many, many things. So bring your wet wipes. Have plenty of water. Uh, Don't over drink. I had a little bit of a hangover one day, and it wasn't super awesome being on the train. But uh, do it. Get out and explore large swaths of our globe by rail. It really is a mode of travel and an experience unlike any other
0: yeah gosh i don't know if that's the one that, that i'd choose to do especially you know on some of those episodes we did uh, about the rail lines around asia like there's all sorts of new nice comfortable clean high-speed trains everywhere <laughs> now you know so like uh yeah maybe i'll do the trans sulawesi first before i uh there you go Is it, is it the middle of Mongolia? I'd love to go to Mongolia, but uh, you know, perhaps I'd fly. I I could never get my dad on any sort of train. I I can't imagine he, he just wants to get there. uh, Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: So there's something to be said for that as well. All right. Any uh, parting words? I just looked back and I can't believe it's 10 years ago. And I think you've done a lot of traveling when opportunity presented itself and you got to do these things when opportunity presents itself. Like the planets aren't going to align perfectly for any trip. This one was mentioned. It seemed like something I couldn't do and just do it. Just take the trip when you can get out there and do these epic things and keep moving. And, and that is one that's well worth it. So yeah, thanks Trevor. This was kind of fun talking to you and thanks for interviewing me and thank you patrons as well for keeping this going. Uh, Trevor, why don't you take us choo choo out of here?
0: Thanks, Scott, and thanks to our guest, Scott, for coming on and sharing his personal memories. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with uh, a guest to tell us something interesting. Thanks
1: for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again
0: soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Anchor Tom and Cameron